This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys and Adjusters, including expert service providers. We're pleased to have with us today Dan Finn, the owner of Finn Financial Group, a structured settlement and specialty income planning firm based in Newport Beach, California. Dan has a master's certificate in structured settlement consulting. He is a past president of the National Structured Settlements Trade Association, has his CPCU designation, and is also a retirement income certified professional. Dan, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Thanks, John. Today we're going to be discussing Dan's recent article that was published for the claims industry entitled Understanding Non-Physical Injury Structured Settlements, Why This Underused Claims Resolution Technique Deserves a Fresh Look. And Dan, let me begin with this question today. Can you define for us a non-physical injury and how does a structured settlement for this type of claim differ from a traditional structured settlement? Sure, be happy to, John. A non-physical injury structured settlement would be one that doesn't qualify for the preferential tax treatment afforded by the Internal Revenue Code under Section 104A2, which is the basis of the structured settlements industry when it originated. Um, The traditional structured settlements, mechanically, the non-physical injury structured settlements and structured settlements work almost identically, but the tax treatment of the cash flows is where it gets different. Traditional structured settlements have cash flows that are 100% income tax-free, whereas non-physical injury structured settlements pay cash flows that are 100% taxable, taxable taxes due in the year of the receipt of the funds. Now, Dan, your article uh, actually gives an excellent summation of the history of structural settlements. It references some ambiguity in the original structured settlement laws that require the industry to modify its approach to handling claims involving non-physical injuries. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, it was an unintentional ambiguity, I should add, that, that it uh, originated the way it did when structured settlements came into existence in the 70s uh, was when they just started fooling around with them. Most of the time they were done with the uh, intent of resolving uh, medical malpractice claims, products liability cases involving physical injuries. Everybody called personal injuries, uh, when, when they said personal injuries, they were, they were thinking personal physical injuries, so no need to add the word physical. Well, along the way, as you might expect, once you uh, create a tax code section that gives preferential tax treatment to these types of cases, every practitioner tries to then include, uh, to, to have every type of case that they file included under tax-free, under the tax-free laws. So we started seeing then uh, employment disputes, which don't have a physical component. Um, then we're trying to create uh, these uh, cash flows as tax-free when that wasn't what the original law intended. So in about 19, uh, in, the, in the mid-90s, the Small Jobs Small Job Protection Act of 1996 culminated in putting an end to that ambiguity. They then added the word physical to the code to make sure that any claim that was going to receive tax-free treatment had to have a physical component and anything else was going to be taxable. They just left all doubt behind us. The good news about that is it did create the need for this particular type of of uh, non-physical injury structured settlement, which is about the same time that this 
option arose. Okay, so Dan, some types of physical injuries are obvious, like a broken arm, cuts and abrasions, or dislocations. But what about something like emotional distress? Can this be considered a physical injury? Emotional stress is a perfect one to talk about because emotional distress can be part of a physical injury, but it depends on the origin of the claim. When I mentioned the Small Job Protection Act of 1996, the framers of that act actually went out of their way to make clear that emotional distress on its own is not tax-free. It is a taxable event. So going back to the wrongful termination uh, lawsuits, a person is fired from their job, and that uh, action causes them emotional distress. The way the law is written today, that emotional distress is considered fully taxable, except to the degree that there are any medical expenses not previously deducted. On the other hand, if you have uh, the car accident that leads to a broken arm, cuts or abrasions that you mentioned, and then that leads to ensuing emotional distress, then the emotional distress is considered 100% income tax-free because it originated from a physical injury. So it's kind of like a chicken and the egg, which came first. You have to determine which comes first, the emotional distress, the physical act that causes emotional distress or physical uh, or non-physical act that leads to emotional distress, which causes physical symptoms. Okay, Dan, you describe non-physical injury structured settlements as an underused claims resolution technique. Can you comment on why you believe this is an option that isn't more widely considered? I think it's probably just the way this originated, to be honest. Most of the practitioners in the structured settlement world and in the claims departments and the, the plaintiff bar understand that structured settlements for tax-free claims, the physical injury claims, uh, are used regularly. Every top firm, plaintiff attorney firm I know uses them regularly, as do most every uh, insurance carrier that's out there. But they don't usually think of them on these types of cases, probably because it's still relatively new. You know, we're only only 20 years into it. It doesn't seem like it's new, but uh, it, it, it's because that distinction was made 20 years ago, and it, I guess we just haven't caught up to it yet. We just got to do a better job of educating everybody that this is a, um, a possibility and something that should be explored. Dan, do you feel the value of a non-physical injured structured settlement is easier or harder to quantify than that of a traditional structured settlement? I think it's much easier. Um, t- tax-free money uh, that is paid in cash is fantastic, and tax-free money that is paid in a structured settlement is fantastic as well. What's not to like about it? Guaranteed money, tax-free, safe and secure over time, but cash isn't always a terrible option if you can take 100% of your cash and have it paid uh, tax-free. But a taxable settlement, you particularly on larger settlements, you now have an individual who has a, uh, let's say somebody's in a, 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 a normal tax bracket of, say, 20 to 30-some percent, and now they get a large cash taxable lump sum that might be taxed at 35, 45, even 55 percent or more in one year before next year they go back to their normal tax bracket. That's 
not, I think it's easier to quantify it by saying, what if we spread this cash out over a number of years, and instead of paying a big lump sum and being taxed like a millionaire in one year, let's spread this lump sum out over a number of years and stay in a normal tax bracket. Those are just savings that then go to the individual instead of going unnecessarily to the IRS. By the way, the IRS isn't against this type of thing. They have all types of things in place that promote the tax avoidance, which is very legal and a very sensible strategy that is used on our 401ks and everything else. So this is just an extension of that. It's designed to, to, to put more parity into a, into a transaction that could otherwise be considered unfair. Dan, is it accurate to say non-physical injury structured settlement negotiations could result in fair outcomes all the way around for both parties trying to resolve a claims dispute? Absolutely. Let's go back to the uh, wrongful termination case. If you've got an individual who is used to earning an income and uh, they pay taxes as they earn the income, they file a lawsuit, and let's say that the, uh, the, the jury determines that the a defendant is uh, guilty of wrongful termination. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to pay this individual one time instead of the income that they would have received over the rest of their working life at a normal tax bracket. Now they're going to be taxed inappropriately in that one year instead of having it spread out evenly, which would seem more fair. From the defendant's perspective, I think it is fair because now you're trying to resolve a conflict or dispute and and pay an individual according to what the intent of the settlement was meant to resolve anyway. Paying damages over time instead of all at once is more consistent with what the basis of the lawsuit usually was. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, John. Good to have you. That was Dan Finn, owner of Finn Financial Group in Newport Beach, California. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to iTunes or our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AM Best, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.